This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Kelly Bashir of Mattapoisett, Massachusetts. Don Quixote, Volume 1, by Miguel de Cervantes Saavedra. Translated by John Ormsby. Chapter 34 through 35. Chapter 34 in which is continued the novel of the ill-advised curiosity it is commonly said that an army looks ill without its general and a castle without its castellan and i say that a young married woman looks still worse without her husband unless there are very good reasons for it i find myself so ill at ease without you and so incapable of enduring the separation that unless you return quickly i shall have to go for relief to my parents house even if i leave yours without a protector for the one you left me if indeed he deserves that title has i think more regard for his own pleasure than to what concerns you as you are possessed of discernment i need say no more to you nor indeed is it fitting i should say more anselmo received his letter and from it he gathered that lothario had be already begun his task and that camilla must have replied to him as he would have wished and delighted beyond measure at such intelligence he sent word to her not to leave his house at on any account as you would return very shortly camilla was astonished at anselmo's reply which placed her in greater perplexity than before for she never dared to remain in her own house nor yet to go to her parents for in remaining her virtue was imperilled and in going she was opposed to her husband's commands finally she decided upon what was worse the worst course for her to remain resolving not to fly from the presence of lothario that she might not give food for gossip to her servants and she now began to regret having written as she had to her husband fearing he might imagine that lothario had perceived some lightness which he had impelled him to lay aside the respect he owed her but confident of her rectitude she put her trust in god and her in her own virtuous intentions with which she hoped to resist in silence all the solicitations of lothario without saying anything to her husband so as not to involve him in any quarrel or trouble and she began to consider how to excuse lothario to anselmo when he should ask her what it was that induced her to write that letter with these resolutions more honourable than judicious or effectual she remained the next day listening to lothario who pressed his suit so strenuously that camilla's firmness began to waver and their virtue had enough to do to come to the rescue of her eyes and keep them from showing signs of a certain tender compassion which the tears and appeals of lothario had awakened in her bosom lothario observed all this and it inflamed him all the more in short he felt that while anselmo's absence afforded time and opportunity he must press the siege of the fortress and so he assailed her self-esteem with praises of her beauty for there is nothing that more quickly reduces and levels the castle towers of fair woman's vanity than vanity itself upon the tongue of flattery in fact with the utmost assiduity he undermined the rock of her purity with such engines that had camilla been a brass she must have fallen he wept he entreated he promised he flattered he importuned he pretended with so much feeling and apparent sincerity that he overthrew the virtuous resolves of camilla and won the triumph he least expected and most longed for camilla yielded camilla fell but what wonder if the friendship of lothario could not stand firm a clear proof to us that the passion of love is to be conquered only by flying from it and that no one should engage in a struggle with an enemy so mighty for divine strength is needed to overcome his human power leonella alone knew of her mistress's weakness for the two false friends and new lovers were unable to conceal it lothario did not care to tell camilla the object anselmo had in view nor that he had afforded him the opportunity of attaining such a result lest she should undervalue his love and think that it was by chance and without intending it and not of his own accord that he had made love to her 
A few days earlier, Anselmo returned to his house, and did not perceive what it had lost, that which he so lightly treated and so highly prized. He went at once to see Lothario, and found him at home. They embraced each other, and Anselmo asked for tidings of his life or death. The tidings I have to give thee, Anselmo, my friend, said Lothario, are that thou dost possess a wife that is worthy to be the pattern and crown of all good wives. The words that I have addressed to her were borne away on the winds, my promises have been despised, my presents have been refused, such feigned tears as I shed have been turned into open ridicule, and short, as Camilla is the essence of all beauty, so she is the treasure-house where purity dwells, and gentleness and modesty abide, with all the virtues that can confer praise, honour, and happiness upon a woman. Take back thy money, my friend, here it is, and I have no need to touch it, for the chastity of Camilla leads, yields not to things so base as gifts or promises." Be content, Anselmo, and refrain from making further proof, and as thou hast passed Dryshood through the sea of these doubts and suspicions that are and may be entertained of woman, seek not to plunge again into the deep ocean of new embarrassments, or with another plot make trial of the goodness and strength of the bark that heaven has granted thee for thy passage across the sea of this world. But reckon thyself now safe in port, moor thyself with the anchor of sound reflection, and rest in peace until thou art called upon to pay that debt which no nobility on earth can escape paying. Anselmo was completely satisfied by the words of Lothario, and believed them as fully as if they had been spoken by an oracle. Nevertheless, he begged of him not to relinquish the undertaking, were it but for the sake of curiosity and amusement. Though thenceforward he need not make use of the same earnest endeavours as before, all he wished him to do was to write some verses to her, praising her under the name of Chloris, for he, thought, for he himself would give her to understand that he was in love with the lady for whom he had given the name to enable him to sing her praises with the decorum due to her modesty, and if Lothario were unwilling to take the trouble of writing the verses, he would compose them himself. That will not be necessary, said Lothario, for the muses are not such enemies of mine, but that they visit me now and then in the course of the year. Do thou tell Camilla what thou hast proposed about a pretended amour of mine? As for the verses, we'll make them, and if not as good as the subject deserves, they shall be at least the best I can produce." An agreement to this effect was made between the friends, the ill-advised one and the treacherous, and Anselmo, returning to his house, asked Camilla the question she already wondered he had not asked before, what it was that caused her to write the letter she had sent him. Camilla replied that it had seemed to her that Lothario looked at her somewhat more freely than when he had been at home, but now she was undeceived and believed it to have been only her own imagination, for Lothario now avoided seeing her, or being alone with her. Anselmo told her that she might be quite easy on the score of that suspicion, for he knew that Lothario was in love with a damsel of rank in the city, whom he celebrated under the name of Chloris, and that, even if he were not, his fidelity and their great friendship left no room for fear. Had not Camilla, however, been informed beforehand by Lothario that his love for Chloris was a pretense, and that he himself had told Anselmo of it in order to be able sometimes to give utterance to the praises of Camilla herself, no doubt she would have fallen into despairing toils of jealousy, but, being forewarned, she received the startling news without uneasiness. The next day, as the three were at the table, Anselmo asked Lothario to recite something of what he had composed for his mistress Chloris, for as Camilla did not know her, he might safely say what he liked. "'Even did she know her,' returned Lothario, "'I would hide nothing, for when a lover praises this lady's beauty, and charges her with cruelty, he casts no imputation upon her fair name.' At any rate, all I can say is that yesterday I made a sonnet on the ingratitude of this chorus, which goes thus. At midnight, in the silence, when the eyes of happier mortals 
balmy slumbers close the weary tale of my unnumbered woes to chloris unto heaven is wont to rise and when the light of day returning dies the portal of the east with tints of rose with undiminished force my sorrow flows in broken accents and in burning sighs and when the sun ascends his star-girt throne and on the earth pours down his midday beams noon but renews my wailing and my tears and with the night again goes up my moan yet ever in my agony it seems to me that neither heaven nor chloris hears the sonnet pleased camilla and still more anselmo for he praised it and the lady was excessively cruel who made no return for sincerity so manifest on which camilla said then all that love-smitten poets say is true as poets they do not tell the truth replied lithario but as lovers they are not more defective in expression than they are truthful there is no doubt of that observed anselmo anxious to support and uphold lothario's ideas with camilla who was as regardless of his design as she was deep in love with lothario and so taking delight in anything that was his and knowing what his thoughts and writings had her for her, their object and that she herself was the real chorus she asked him to repeat some other sonnet or verses if he recollected any i do replied lothario but i do not think it as good as the first one or more correctly speaking was bad but you can easily judge for it is this i know that i am doomed death is to me as certain as that thou ungrateful fair dead at thy feet should see me lying ere my heart repented of its love for thee if buried in oblivion i should be bereft of life fame favour even there it would be found that i thy image bear deep graven in my breast for all to see this like some holy relic do i prize to save me from the fate my truth entails truth that to thy hard heart its vigour owes alas for him that under lowering skies in peril o'er trackless ocean sails where neither friendly port nor pole-star shows and selma praised the second sonnet too as he had praised the first and so he went on adding link after link to the chain with which he was binding himself and making his dishonour secure for when lothario was doing most dishonour to him he told him he was most honoured and thus each step that camilla descended towards the depths of her abasement she mounted in his opinion toward the summit of virtue and fair fame it so happened that finding herself on one occasion alone with her maid camilla said to her i am ashamed to think my dear leonella how lightly lightly i have valued myself that i did not compel lothario to purchase by at least some expenditure of time that full possession of me that i so quickly yielded of him of my own free will i fear that he will think ill my my pliancy or lightness not considering the irresistible influence he brought to bear upon me let not that trouble you my lady said leonella for it does not take away the value of the thing given or make it less precious to give it quickly if it be really valuable and worthy of being prized nay they are wont to say that he who gives quickly gives twice they also say said camilla that what costs little is valued less that saying does not hold good in your case replied leonella for love as i have heard say sometimes flies and sometimes walks with this one it runs with that it moves slowly some it cools others it burns some it wounds others it slays it begins the course of its desires and at the same moment completes and ends it in the morning it will lay siege to a fortress and by night will have taken it for there is no power that can resist it so what are you in dread of what do you fear when the same must have befallen lothario love hanging close love having chosen the absence of my lord as the instrument for subduing you and it was absolutely necessary to complete then what love has resolved upon without affording the time to let anselmo return and by his presence compel the work to be left unfinished for love has no better agent for carrying out his designs than opportunity and of opportunity he avails himself in all his fees especially at the outset 
All this I know well myself, more by experience than by hearsay, and some day, Signora, I will enlighten you on the subject, for I am of your flesh and blood too. Moreover, Lady Camilla, you do not you did not surrender your surrender yourself, or yield so quickly, but that you that first you saw Lothario's whole soul in his eyes, and his sighs, and his words, his promises, and his gifts, and by it and his good qualities perceived how worthy he was of your love. This, then, being the case, let not these scrupulous and prudish ideas trouble your imagination, but be assured that Lothario prizes you as you do him, and rest content and satisfied that as you are caught in the noose of love, it is one of worth and merit that has taken you, and one that has not only the four S's, that they say true lovers ought to have, but a complete alphabet. Only listen to me, and you will see how I can repeat it by rote. He is to my eyes and thinking, amiable, brave, courteous, distinguished, elegant, fond, gay, honourable, illustrious, loyal, manly, noble, open, polite, quick-witted, rich, and the yeses according to the saying, and then tender, voracious, x does not suit him, for it is a rough letter, y has been given already, and z, zealous for your honour. Camilla laughed at her maid's alphabet, and perceived her to be more experienced in love's affairs than she said, which she admitted, confessing to Camilla that she had love passages with a young man of good birth of the same city. Camilla was uneasy at this, dreading lest it might prove the means of endangering her honour, and asked whether her intrigue had gone beyond words, and she, with little shame and much effrontery, said it had, for certain it is that ladies' imprudences make servants shameless, who, when they see their mistresses make a false step, think nothing of going astray themselves, or of its being known. All that Camilla could do was to entreat Lothario to say nothing about her doings to him, whom she called her lover, and to conduct her own affairs secretly, lest they should come to the knowledge of Anselmo, or of Lothario. Leonella said she would, but kept her word in such a way that she confirmed Camilla's apprehension of losing her reputation through her means. For this abandoned and bold Leonella, as soon as she perceived that her mistress's demeanour was not what it was wont to be, had the audacity to introduce her lover into the house, confident that even if her mistress saw him, she would not dare to expose him, for the sins of mistresses entail this mischief among them. They make themselves the slave of their own servants, and are obliged to hide their laxities and depravities, as was the case with Camilla, who, though she perceived, not once but many times, that Leonella was in, was with her lover in some room of the house, not only did not dare to chide them, but afforded her opportunities for concealing him, and removed all difficulties, lest he should be seen by her husband. She was unable, however, to prevent him from being seen on one occasion, as he sallied forth at daybreak by Lothario, who, not knowing who he was, at first took him for a spectre, but as soon as he saw him hasten away, muffling his face with the cloak and concealing himself carefully and cautiously, he rejected this foolish idea and adopted another, which would have been the ruin of all had not Camilla found a remedy. It did not occur to Lothario that this man he had seen issuing at such an untimely hour from Anselmo's house could have entered it on Leonella's account, nor did he remember there was such a person as Leonella. All he thought that was as Camilla had been light in yielding with him, so she had been with another. For this further penalty, this brings this woman's. For this further penalty, the erring woman's sin, bring with it, and that her honour is distrusted even by him whose overtures and persuasions she has yielded, and he believes her to have surrendered more easily to others, and gives implicit credence to every suspicion that comes into his mind. All Lothario's good sense seems to have failed him at this juncture, all his prudent maxims escaped his memory, for without once reflecting rationally, and without more ado, in his impatience and in the blindness of the jealous rage that gnawed his heart, 
and dying to revenge himself upon Camilla, who had done him no wrong, before Anselmo had risen, he hastened him, and said, No, Anselmo, that for several days past I have been struggling with myself, striving to withhold from thee what is no longer possible or right that I could, should conceal from thee. No, that Camilla's fortress has surrendered, and is ready to submit to my will. And if I have been slow to reveal this fact to thee, it was in order to see if there were some like caprice of hers, or if she sought to try me and ascertain if the love I began to make to her with thy permission was made with a serious intention. I thought, too, that if she were what she ought to be, and what we both believed her, would have ere this given the information of my addresses. But seeing that she delays, I believe the truth of the promise she has given me. The next time thou art absent from the house, she will grant me an interview in the closet where thy jewels are kept. And it was true that Camilla used to meet him there. But I do not wish thee to rush precipitately to take vengeance, for the sin is as yet only committed in intention, and Camilla's may change, perhaps, between this and the appointed time, and repentance spring up in its place. As hitherto thou hast always followed my advice wholly, or in part, follow and observe this that I will give thee now, so that without mistake, and with mature deliberation, thou mayst satisfy thyself as to what may see in the best course. Pretend to absent thyself for two or three days, as thou hast been wont to do on other occasions, and contrive to hide thyself in the closet. For the tapestries and other things there afford great facilities for thy concealment, and then thou wilt see with thy own with thine own eyes, and I with mine, what Camilla's purpose may be. And if it be a guilty one, which may be feared rather than expected, with silence, prudence, and discretion, thou canst thyself become the instrument of punishment for the wrong done thee. Anselmo was amazed and overwhelmed and astounded at the words of Lothario, which came upon him at a time when he least expected to hear them. For he now looked upon Camilla as having triumphed over the pretended attacks of Lothario, and was beginning to enjoy the glory of her victory. He remained silent for a considerable time, looking on the ground with fixed gaze, and at length said, Thou hast behaved, Lothario, as I expected of thy friendship. I will follow thy advice in everything. Do as thou wilt, and keep this secret as thou seest it should be kept in circumstance so unlooked for. Lothario gave him his word, but after leaving him he repented altogether of what he had said to him, perceiving how foolishly he had acted, as he might have revenged himself upon Camilla in some less cruel and degrading way. He cursed his want of sense, condemned his hasty resolution, and knew not what course to take to undo the mischief or find some ready escape from it. At last he decided upon revealing all to Camilla, and, as there was no want of opportunity for doing so, he found her alone the same day, which she, as soon as she had the chance of speaking to him, said, Lothario, my friend, I must tell thee, I have a sorrow in my heart which fills it so it seems ready to burst, and it will be wonder if it does not, for the audacity of Leonella has now reached such a pitch that every night she conceals a gallant of hers in this house, and remains with him till morning at the expense of my reputation, inasmuch as it is open to any one to question it who may see him quitting my house at such unseasonable hours. But what distresses me is that I cannot punish or chide her, for her privity to our intrigue bridles my mouth and keeps me silent about hers, while I am dreading that some catastrophe will come of it. As Camilla said this, Lothario at first imagined it was some device to delude him into the idea that the man he had seen going out was Leonella's lover, not hers, but when he saw how she wept and suffered, and begged him to help her, he became convinced of the truth, and the conviction completed his confusion and remorse. However, he told Camilla not to distress herself, as he would take measures to put a stop to the insolence of Leonella. At the same time he told her what, driven by the fierce rage of jealousy, he had said to Anselmo and how he had arranged to hide himself in the closet, that he might there see plainly how little she preserved her fidelity to him, 
and he entreated her to pardon for this madness and her advice as to how to repair it and escape safely from the intricate labyrinth in which his imprudence had involved him camilla was struck with alarm at hearing what lothario had said and with much anger and great good sense she reproved him and rebuked his base design and the foolish and mischievous resolution he had made but as woman has by nature a nimbler wit than man for good and for evil though it is apt to fail when she sets herself deliberately to reason camilla on the spur of the moment thought of a way to remedy what was all appearance irremediable and told lothario to contrive that the next day anselmo should conceal himself in the place he mentioned for she hoped his, from his concealment to obtain the means of their enjoying themselves for the future without any apprehension and without revealing her purpose to him entirely she charged him to be careful as soon as anselmo was concealed come to her when leonella should call him and to all she said to him to answer as he would take as he would have answered had he not known that anselmo was listening lothario pressed her to explain her intention fully so that he might with more certainty and precaution take care to do what he saw to be needful i tell you said camilla there is nothing to take care of except to answer me what i shall ask you for she did not ex wish to explain to him beforehand what she meant to do fearing lest he should be unwilling to follow out an idea which seemed to her such a good one and should try to devise some other less practicable plan lothario then retired and the next day anselmo under pretence of going to his friend's country-house took his departure and then returned to conceal himself which he was able to do easily as camilla and leonella took care to give him the opportunity and so he placed himself in hiding in the statue of agitation that it may be imagined he would feel who expected to see the vitals of his honour laid bare before his feet eyes and found himself on the point of losing the supreme blessing he thought he possessed in his beloved camilla having made sure of anselmo's being in his hiding-place camilla and leonella entered the closet and the instant she set foot within it camilla said with a deep sigh ah dear leonella would it not be better before i do what i am unwilling you should know lest you should seek to prevent it that you should take anselmo's dagger that i have asked of you and with it pierce this vile heart of mine but no there is no reason why i should suffer the punishment of another's fault i will first know what it is that the bold licentious eyes of lothario have seen in me that could have encouraged him to reveal to me a design so base as that which he has disclosed regardless of his friend and of my honour go to the window leonel and call him for no doubt he is in the street waiting to carry out his vile project but mine cruel it may be but honourable shall be carried out first ah signora said the crafty leonela who knew her part what is it you want to do with this dagger can it be that you want to take your own life or lothario's for whichever you mean to do it will lead to the loss of your reputation and good name it is better to dissemble your wrong and not give this wicked man the chance of entering the house now and finding us alone consider signora we are weak women and he is a man and determined and as he comes with such a base purpose blind and urged by passion perhaps you can put yours into execution he may do what will be worse for you than taking your life i'll betide my master anselmo for giving such authority in his house to this shameless fellow and supposing you kill him senor as i suspect you mean to do what shall we do with him when he is dead what my friend replied camilla we shall leave him for anselmo to bury him for in reason it will be to him a light labour to hide his own infamy underground summon him make haste for all the time i delay in taking vengeance for my wrong seems to me an offence against the loyalty i owe my husband anselmo was listening to all this and every word that camilla uttered made him change his mind but when he heard that it was resolved to kill othario his first impulse was to come out and show himself to avert such a disaster 
But in his anxiety to see the issue of a resolution so bold and virtuous, he restrained himself, and sending to come forth to prevent the deed in time. At this moment Camilla, throwing herself upon a bed that was close by, swooned away, and Leonella began to weep bitterly, exclaiming, "'Woe is me that I should be fated to have dying here in my arms a flower of virtue upon earth, the crown of true wives, a pattern of chastity!' with more to the same effect, so that any one who heard her would have taken her for the most tender-hearted and faithful handmaid in the world, and her mistress for another persecuted Penelope. Camilla was not long in recovering from her fainting fit, and on coming to herself she said, "'Why do you not go, Leonella, to call hither that friend, the falsest to his friend, that the, the, the sun ever shone upon, or night concealed? Away, run, haste, speed, lest the fire of my wrath burn itself out with delay.' and the righteous vengeance that I hope for melt away in venices and maledictions. I am just going to call him, Signora, said Leonella, but first you must give me that dagger, lest while I am gone you should by means of it give cause to all who love you to weep all their lives. Go in peace, dear Leonella, I will not do so, said Camilla, for rash and foolish as I may be to your mind. In defending my honour I am not going to be so much as that Lucretia, who they say killed herself without having done anything wrong, without having first killed him on whom the ground of her misfortune lay. I shall die if I am to die, but it must be after full vengeance upon him who has brought me here to weep over audacity that has, that no fault of mine gave birth to. Leonella required much pressing before she would go to summon Lothario, but at last she went, and while awaiting her conti- return, Camilla continued as if speaking to herself. Good God! Would it not have been more prudent to have repulsed Lothario, as I have done many a time before, than to allow him, as I am now doing, to think me unchaste and vile? Even for the short time I must wait until I undeceive him? No doubt it would have been better, but I should not be avenged, nor the honour of my husband vindicated, should he find so clear and easy an escape from the strait into which his depravity has led him. Let the traitor pay with his life for the temerity of his wanton wishes, and let the world know, if haply it shall ever come to know, that Camilla not only preserved her allegiance to her husband, but avenged him of the man who dared to wrong him. Still, I think it might be better to disclose this to Anselmo. But then I have called his attention to it in the letter I wrote him in the country, and if he did nothing to prevent the mischief I there pointed out to him, I suppose it was from pure goodness of heart and trustfulness. He would not, and could not, believe that any thought against his honour could harbour in the breasts of so staunch a friend, nor indeed did I myself believe it for many days, nor should I have ever believed it if his insolence had not gone so far as to make manifest by open presence, lavish promises, and ceaseless tears. But why do I argue this? Does a bold determination stand in need of arguments? Surely not. And traitors avaunt, vengeance to my aid. Let the false one come, approach, advance, die, yield up his life, and then befall what may. Pure I came to him who heaven bestowed upon me, pure I shall leave him, and at the worst bathed in my own chaste blood, and in the foul blood of the falsest friend that friendship ever saw in the world. And as she uttered these words, she paced the room holding the unsheathed g- g- dagger with such regular and disordered steps, and such gestures that one would have supposed her to have lost her senses, and taken her for some violent desperado instead of a delicate woman. Anselmo, hidden behind some tapestries where he had concealed himself, beheld and was amazed by all, and already felt that what he had seen and heard was a sufficient answer to even greater suspicions, and he would have been now well pleased if the proof afforded by Lothario's coming were dispensed with, as he feared some sudden mishap, but as he was on the point of showing himself and coming forth to embrace and undeceive his wife, he paused as he saw Leonella returning, leading Lothario. Camilla, when she saw him, drawing a long line in front of her on the floor with the dagger, said to him, Lothario, pay attention to what I say to thee. 
If by any chance thou darest to cross this line thou seest, or even approachest it, the instant I see thee attempt it, that same instant will I pierce my bosom with this dagger that I hold in my hand. And before thou answerest me a word, desire thee to listen to a few from me, and afterwards thou shalt reply as may please thee. First, I desire to tell thee to tell me, Lothario, if thou knowest my husband Anselmo, and in what light thou regardest him, and secondly, I desire to know if thou knowest me too. Answer me this without embarrassment, or reflecting deeply what thou wilt answer, for they are no riddles I put to thee. Lothario was not so dull, but that from the first instance when Camilla directed him to make Anselmo hide himself, he understood what she intended to do, and therefore he fell in with her ideas so readily and promptly that between them they made the imposture look more true than truth, so he answered her thus, I did not think, fair Camilla, that thou wert calling me to ask me questions that remote from the object with which I come, but if it is to defer the promised reward thou art doing so, thou mightst have put it off still longer, for the longing for happiness gives the more distress that nearer comes the hope of gaining it, for lest thou shouldst say that I do not answer thy questions, I say that I know thy husband, Anselmo, and that we have known each other from our earliest years. I will not speak of what thou too knowest of our friendship, that I may compel, not compel myself to testify against the wrong that love, the mighty excuse for greater errors, makes me inflict upon him. Thee I know, and hold in the same estimation as he does, for were it not so, I had not for a lesser prize acted in opposition to what I owe my station in the holy laws of true friendship, now broken and violated by me through that powerful enemy love. If thou dost confess that, returned Camilla, mortal enemy of all that rightly deserves to be loved, with what face dost thou dare to come before one who thou knowest to be the mirror wherein he is reflected, on whom thou shouldst look to see how unworthily thou him? But, woe is me, I now comprehend what has made thee give so little heed to what thou owest to thyself. It must have been some freedom of mine, for I will not call it a modesty, as it did not proceed from any deliberate intention, but from some heedlessness such as women are guilty of through inadvertence when they have no occasion for reserve. But tell me, traitor, when did I by word or sign give a reply to thy prayers that could awaken in thee a shadow of hope of attaining thy base wishes? When were not thy professions of love sternly and scornfully rejected and rebuked? When were thy frequent pledges and still more frequent gifts believed or accepted? But as I am persuaded that no one can long persevere in the attempt to win love unsustained by some hope, I am willing to attribute to myself the blame of thy assurance, for no doubt some thoughtlessness of mine has all this time fostered thy hopes, and therefore will I punish myself and inflict upon myself the penalty thy guilt deserves, and that thou mayest see that being so relentless to myself I cannot possibly be otherwise to thee. I have summoned thee to be a witness of the sacrifice I mean to offer to the injured honour of my honoured husband, wronged by thee with all the assiduity thou wert capable, and by me too, though want of caution in avoiding every occasion, if I have given any, of encouraging and sanctioning thy base designs. Once more I say that suspicion in my mind that some imprudence of mine has engendered these lawless thoughts in thee is what causes me most distress, and what I desire to punish with my own hands. For were any other instrument of punishment employed, my error might become what causes me distress, and what I desire my error might become widely known. But before I do so, in my death I mean to inflict death, and take with me one that will satisfy my longing for the revenge I hope for and have. For I shall see, wheresoever it may be that I go, the penalty awarded by inflexible, unswerving justice on him who has placed me in a position so desperate. 
As she uttered these words with, words with incredible energy and swiftness, she flew upon Lothario with a naked dagger, so manifestly burnt on burying it in his breast that he was almost uncertain whether these demonstrations were real or feigned, for he was obliged to have recourse to all his skill and strength to prevent her from striking him. And with such reality did she act at this strange farce and mystification that, to give it a color of truth, she determined to stain it with her own blood, for, perceiving or pretending that she could not wound Lothario, she said, Fate, it seems, will not grant my desire complete satisfaction, but it will not be able to keep me from satisfying it partially, at least, and, making an effort to free the hand with a dagger which Lothario held in his grasp, she released it, and, directing the point to a place where it could not inflict a deep wound, she plunged it into her left side, high up close to the shoulder, and then allowed herself to fall to the ground as if in a faint. Leonel and Lothario stood amazed and astounded at the catastrophe, and seeing Camilla stretched on the ground and bathed in her blood, they were still uncertain as to the true nature of the act. Lothario, terrified and breathless, ran in haste to pluck out the dagger, but when he saw how slight the wound was, he relieved of his fears that once more admired the subtlety, coolness, and ready wit of the fair Camilla, and the better to support the part he had been he had to play, he began to utter profuse, doleful lamentations over her body as if she were dead, invoking maledictions not only on himself, but also on him who had been the means of placing him in such a position. And knowing that his friend Anselmo heard him, he spoke in such a way as to make a listener feel much more pity for him than for Camilla, even though he supposed her dead. Leonella took her up in her arms and laid her on the bed, entreating Lothario to go in quest of someone to attend to her wound in secret and at the same time asking his advice and opinion as to what they should say to Anselmo about his lady's wound if he should chance to return before it was healed. He replied they might say what they liked, for he was not in a state to give advice that would be of any use. All he could tell her was to try and stanch the blood, as he was going where he should never more be seen, and with every appearance of deep grief and sorrow he left the house. But when he found himself alone, and where there was nobody to see him, he crossed himself unceasingly, lost in wonder at the adroitness of Camilla and the consistent acting of Leonella, he reflected how convinced Anselmo would be that he had a second por Portia for a wife, and he looked forward anxiously to meeting him in order to rejoice together over falsehood and truth, the most craftily veiled that could be imagined. Leonella, as he told her, stanched her lady's blood, which was no more than suffice to support her deception, and washing the wound with little wine, she bound it up to the best of her school skill. Taking all the time she was sending her in a strain that, even if nothing else had been said before, would have been enough to assure Anselmo that he had in Camilla a model of purity. To Leonella's word Camilla added her own, calling herself cowardly and wanting in spirit, since she had not at the time she had most need of it to rid herself of the life she so much loathed. She asked her attendant's advice as to whether or not she ought to inform her beloved husband of all that had happened. But the other bade her to say nothing about it, as she would lay upon him the obligation of taking vengeance on Lothario, which he could not do but at great risk to himself, and it was the duty of a true wife not to give her husband provocation to quarrel, but on the contrary to remove it as far as possible from him. Camilla replied that she believed she was right, and that she would follow her advice, but at any rate it would be well to consider how she was to explain the wound to Anselmo, for he could not help seeing it, to which Leonella answered that she did not know how to tell a lie, even in jest. "'How then can I know, my dear?' said Camilla. "'For I should not dare to forge or keep up a falsehood if my life depended on it. If we can think of no escape from the difficulty, it will be better to tell him the plain truth than he should find us out in an untrue story.' "'Be not uneasy, Signora,' said Leonella. "'Between this and to-morrow I will think of that which we must say to him, and perhaps the wound being where it is can be hidden from sight.' 
and heaven will be pleasured to aid us in a purpose so good and honourable. Compose yourself, Signora, and endeavour to calm your excitement, lest my lord find you agitated, and leave the rest to my care and God's, who always supports good intentions. Anselmo had with the deepest attention listened to and seen played out the tragedy of the death of his honour, which the performers acted with such wonderfully effective truth that it seemed as if they had become the realities of the parts they played. He longed for night and an opportunity of escaping from the house to go and see his good friend Lothario, and with him give vent to his joy over the precious pearl he had gained in having established his wife's purity. Both mistress and maid took care to leave him an opportunity to give him time and opportunity to get away, and taking advantage of it he made his escape, and at once he went in quest of Lothario, and it would be impossible to describe how he embraced him when he found him, and the things he said to him in the joy of his heart, and the praises he bestowed upon Camilla, all which Lothario listened to without being able to show any pleasure, for he could not forget how deceived his friend was, and how dishonourably he had wronged him, and though Anselmo could see that Lothario was not glad, Still, he imagined it was only because he had left Camilla wounded and had himself been the cause of it, and so, among other things, he told himself not to be distressed about Camilla's accident, for, as they had agreed to hide it from him, the wound was evidently trifling, and that being so, he had no cause for fear, but should henceforward be of good cheer and rejoice with him, seeing that by his means and adroitness he found himself raised to the greatest height of happiness that he could venture to hope for, and desired no better pastime than making verses in praise of Camilla that would preserve her name for all time to come. Lothario commended his purpose, and promised on his own part to aid him in raising a monument so glorious. And so Anselmo was left the most charmingly hoodwinked man there could be in the world. He himself, persuaded he was conducting the instrument of his glory, led home by the hand him who had been the utter destruction of his good name, whom Camilla received with averted countenance, though with smiles in her heart. The deception was carried on for some time, until, at the end of the few months, fortune turned her wheel, and the guilt which had been until then so skilfully concealed was published abroad, and Anselmo paid with his life the penalty of his ill-advised curiosity. End of chapter 34 Chapter 35 which treats of the heroic and prodigious battle Don Quixote had with certain skins of red wine, and brings the novel of the ill-advised curiosity to a close. There remained but little more of the novel to be read when Sancho Panza burst forth in wild excitement from the garret where Don Quixote was lying, shouting, Run, sirs, quick, and help my master, who is in the thick of the toughest and stiffest battle I have ever laid eyes on. By the living God he has given the giant the enemy of the lady princess, Mikomikona, such a slash that he has sliced his head clean off as it were a turnip. "'What are you talking about, brother?' said the curate, pausing as he was about to read the remainder of the novel. "'Are you in your senses, Sancho? How the devil can it be, as you say, when the giant is two thousand leagues away?' Here they heard a loud noise in the chamber, and Don Quixote shouting, "'Sand, thief, brigand, villain! Now have I got thee, and thy scimitar shall not avail thee!' And then it seemed as though he were slashing vigorously at the wall. "'Don't stop to listen,' said San Sancho, "'but go in and part them, or help my master, "'that there is no need of that now, "'for no doubt the giant is dead by this time, "'and giving account to God of his wicked past life. "'For I saw the blood flowing on the ground, "'and the head cut off and fallen on one side, "'and it is as big as a large wineskin. "'May I die,' said the landlord at this, "'if Don Quixote or Don Devil "'has not been slashing some of the skins of red wine "'that stand full at his bed's head, and the spilt wine must be what his good fellow takes for blood. And so saying, he went into his room, and the rest after him, and there they found Don Quixote in the strangest costume in the world. He was in his shirt, which was not long enough in front to cover his thighs completely, 
and was six fingers shorter behind. His legs were very long and lean, covered with hair, and anything but clean. On his head he had a little greasy red cap that belonged to the host. Round his arm he had rolled the blanket of the bed to which Sancho, for reasons best known to himself, owed a grudge, and in his right hand he held his unsheathed sword, with which he was slashing about on all sides, uttering exclamations as if he were actually fighting some giant, and the best of it was his eyes were not open, for he was fast asleep, and dreaming that he was doing battle with a giant. For his imagination was so wrought upon by the adventure he was going to accomplish that it made him dream he had already reached the kingdom of Mycomicon, and was engaged in combat with his enemy, and believing he was laying on the giant, he had given so many sword-cuts to the skin that the whole room was full of wine. On seeing this, the landlord was so enraged that he fell on Don Quixote, and with his clenched fists began to pummel him in such a way that if Cardinio and the curate had not dragged him off, he would have brought the war of the giant to an end. But in spite of all, the poor gentleman never woke until the barber brought a great pot of cold water from the well and flung it with one dash all over his body, on which Don Quixote woke up, but not so completely as to understand what was the matter. Dorothea, seeing how short and slight his attire was, would not go in to witness the battle between her champion and her opponent. As for Sancho, he went searching all over the floor for the head of the giant, and not finding it, he said, I see now that it's all enchantment in this house, for the last time, on this very spot where I am now, I got ever so many thumps without knowing who gave them to me, or being able to see anybody, and now this head is not to be seen anywhere about, though I saw it cut off with my own eyes, and the blood running from the body as if from a fountain. What? "'Blood and fountains are you talking about, enemy of God and his saints?' said the landlord. "'Don't you see, you thief, that the blood and the fountain are only these skins that have been stabbed in the red wine swimming all over the room? And I wish I saw the soul of him that stabbed them swimming in hell.' "'I know nothing about that,' said Sancho. "'All I know is that it will be bad luck that through not finding his, this head my country will melt away like salt in water.' For Sancho awake was worse than his master's sleep so much his master's promises addled his wits. The landlord was beside himself at the coolness of the squire and the mischievous doings of the master, and swore it should not be like the last time when they went without paying, and that their privileges of chivalry should not good hold good this time to let one or the other of them without paying, even to the cost of the plugs that would have to be put to the dead wineskins. The curate was holding Don Quixote's hands, who, fancying he had now ended the adventure, and was in the presence of the princess Mycomicona, knelt before the curate and said, "'Exalted and beauteous lady, your highness may live from this day forth, fearless of any harm this base being could do you, and I too from this day forth am released from the promise I gave you, since by the help of God on high and by the favour of her by whom I live and breathe I have fulfilled it so successfully.' "'Did not I say so?' said Sancho on hearing this. "'You see, I wasn't drunk, and there, you see, my master has already salted the giant. "'There's no doubt about the balls. My country is all right.' "'Who could have helped laughing at the absurdities of the pair, master and man? "'And laughed they did, all except the landlord, who cursed himself. "'But at length the barber, Cardinio, and the curate contrived with no small trouble to get Don Quixote on the bed. "'And he fell asleep with every appearance of excessive weariness.' They left him to sleep, and came out to the gate of the inn to console Sancho Panza for not having found the head of the giant, but much more work had they to appease the landlord, who was furious at the sudden death of his wineskins, and said the landlady, half scolding, half crying, at an evil moment, and in such an unlucky hour he came into the, my house, this knight errant, would that I had never set eyes on him, for dear he has cost me. 
The last time he went off with the overnight score against him for supper, bed, straw, and barley, for himself and his squire, and a hack and an ass, saying he was a knight adventurer. God sent unlucky adventures to him, and all the adventurers in the world, and therefore not bound to pay anything, for it was so settled by the knight errantry tariff. And then, all because of him, came the other gentleman, and carried off my tail, and gives it back more than two curatillas to worse, all stripped of its hair, so that it is not for my husband's purpose, and then, for a finishing touch to all, to burst my wine-skins and spill my wine. I wish I saw his own blood spilt, but let him not deceive himself, for by the bones of my father and the shade of my mother they shall pay me down every quartz, or my name is not what it is, and I am not my father's daughter. All this and more to the same effect the landlady delivered with great irritation, and her good maid Maritornes backed her up, while the daughter held her peace and smiled from time to time. The curate smoothed matters by promising to make good all losses to the best of his power, not only as regarded the wine-skin, but also the wine, and above all the depreciation of the tale which they set such store by. Dorothea comforted Sancho, telling him that she pledged herself as soon as it should appear certain that his master had decapitated the giant, and she found herself peacefully established in her kingdom, to bestow upon him the best county there was in it. With this Sancho consoled himself, and assured the princess she might rely upon it that he had seen the head of the giant, and more by token it had a beard that reached to the girdle, and that if it was not to be seen now it was because everything that happened in that house went by enchantment, as he himself had proved the last time he had lodged there. Dorothea said that she fully believed it, and that he need not be uneasy, for all would go well and turn out as he wished. And therefore, being appeased, the curate was anxious to go on with the novel, as he saw there was but little more left to read. Dorothea and the others begged him to finish it, and he, as he was willing to please them, and enjoyed reading it himself, continued the tale in these words. The result was that from the confidence Anselmo felt in Camilla's virtue, he lived happily and free from anxiety, and Camilla purposely looked coldly on Lothario, that Anselmo might suppose her feelings towards him to be the opposite of what they were, and the better to support the position, Lothario begged to be excused from coming to the house, as the displeasure with which Camilla regarded his presence was plain to be seen. But the befooled Anselmo said he would on no account allow such a thing, and so in a thousand ways became the author of his own dishonour, while he believed he was ensuring his happiness. Meanwhile the satisfaction with which Leonella saw herself empowered to carry on her amour reached such a height that regardless of everything else she followed her, in her inclinations unrestrainedly, feeling confident that her mistress would screen her and even show her how to manage it safely. At last one night Anselmo heard footsteps in Leonella's room, and on trying to enter, to see who it was, he found that the door was held against him, which made him all the more determined to open it, and exerting his strength he forced it open, and entered the room in time to see a man leaping through the window into the street. He ran quickly to seize him or discover who he was, but he was unable to effect either purpose, for Leonella flung her arms round him, crying, "'Be calm, Signor. Do not give way to passion or follow him who has escaped from this. He belongs to me, and in fact he is my husband.' Anselmo would not believe it, but, blind with rage, he drew a dragger and threatened to stab Leonella, bidding her to tell her the truth, or he would kill her. She, in fear, not knowing what she was saying, exclaimed, "'Do not, do not kill me, Signor, for I can tell you more th important things than any you can imagine.' "'Tell me, then, at once, or thou diest,' said Anselmo. "'It would be impossible for me now,' said Leonella. "'I'm so agitated. Leave me till tomorrow, and then you shall hear from me what thou will fill thou with astonishment, but rest assured that he who leaped through the windows is a young man of this city, who has given me his promise to become my husband. And Selma was appeased with this, and was content to wait the time she asked of him, 
for he never expected to hear anything against Camilla, so satisfied and sure of her virtue was he, and so he quitted the room and left Leonella locked in, telling her she should not come out until she had told him all she had to make known to him. He went at once to see Camilla, and tell her, as he did, all that passed between him and her handymaid, and the promise she had given to inform him of matters of serious importance. There is no saying whether Camilla was agitated or not, for so great was her fear and dismay, that making sure, as she had good reason to do, that Leonella would tell Anselmo all she knew of her faithlessness, she had not the courage to wait and see if her suspicions were confirmed, and that same night, as soon as she thought that Anselmo was asleep, she packed up the most valuable jewels she had and some money, without being observed by anybody, escaped from the house, and betook herself to Lotharius, to whom she related what had occurred, imploring him to convey her some to some place of safety, or to fly with her, where they might be safe from Anselmo. The state of perplexity to which Camilla reduced Lothario was such that he was unable to utter a word in reply, still less to decide upon what he should do. At length he resolved to conduct her to a convent to which a sister of his was prioress. Camilla agreed to this, and with the speed which the circumstances demanded, Lothario took her to the convent and left her there, and then himself quitted the city without letting anyone know of his departure. As soon as daylight came, Anselmo, without missing Camilla from his side, rose, eager to learn what Leonella had to tell him, and hastened to the room where he had locked her in. He entered, he opened the door, but found no Leonella. All he found was some sheets knotted to the window, a plain proof that she had let herself down from it and escaped. He returned uneasily to tell Camilla, but not finding her in bed or anywhere in the house, he was lost in amazement. He asked servants of the house about her, but none of them could give him any explanation. As he was going in search of Camilla, it happened by chance that he observed her boxes were lying open, and that the greater part of her jewels were gone, and now he became fully aware of his disgrace, and that Leonella was not the cause of his misfortune, and just as he was, without delaying to dress himself completely, he repaired, sat at heart and dejected, to his friend Lothario to make known his sorrow to him. But when he failed to find him, and his servants reported that he had been absent from his house all night, and had taken with him all the money he had, he felt as though he were losing his senses, and to make all complete on returning to his own house, he found it deserted and empty, not one of all his servants, male or female, remaining in it. He knew not what to think, or say, or do, and his reason seemed to be deserting him little by little. He reviewed his position, and saw himself in a moment left without wife, friend, or servants, abandoned, he felt, by the heavens above him, and more than all robbed of his honour, for in Camilla's disappearance he saw his own ruin. After long reflection he resolved at last to go to his friend's village where he had been staying when he afforded opportunities for the contrivance of this complication of misfortune he had locked the doors of his house mounted his horse and with a broken spirit sent out on his journey but he had hardly gone half way when harassed by his reflections he had to dismount and tie his horse to a tree and at the foot of which he threw himself giving vent to piteous heart-rending sighs and there he remained till nearly nightfall when he observed a man approaching on horseback from the city of whom after saluting him, he asked what was the news in Florence. The citizen replied, The strangest that had been heard for many a day, for it is reported abroad that Lothario, a great friend of the wealthy Anselmo, who lived at San Giovanni, carried off last night Camilla, the wife of Anselmo, who also has disappeared. All this has been told by a maidservant of Camilla's, whom the governor found last night, lowering herself by a sheet from the windows of Anselmo's house. I know not indeed precisely how the affair came to pass, all I know is that the whole city is wondering at the occurrence, for no one could have expected a thing of the kind, seeing the great and intimate friendship that existed between them, so great, they say, that they were called the two friends. Is it known at all, said Anselmo, what road Lothario and Camilla took? 
Not in the least, said the citizen, though the governor has been very active in searching for them. God speed you, senor, said Anselmo. God be with you, said the citizen, and went on his way. This disastrous intelligence almost robbed Anselmo not only of his senses, but of his life. He got up as well as he was able, and reached the house of his friend, who as yet knew nothing of his misfortune, but seeing him come pale, worn, and haggard, perceived that he was suffering some heavy affliction. And Anselmo at once begged to be allowed to retire to rest, and to be given writing materials. His wish was complied with, and he was left lying down and alone, for he desired this, and even that the door should be locked. Finding himself alone, so he took to heart the thought of his misfortune, that by the signs of death he felt within him, he knew well his life was drawing to a close, and therefore he resolved to leave behind him a declaration of the cause of his strange end. He began to write, but there, before he had put down all he meant to say, his breath failed him, and he yielded up his life, a victim to the suffering which his ill-advised curiosity had entailed upon him. The master of the house, observing that it was now late, and that Anselmo did not call, determined to go in and ascertain if his dis in disposition was increasing, and found him lying on his face, his body partly in bed, partly on the writing-table, on which he lay with the written paper open and the pen still in his hand. Having first called him without receiving any answer, his host approached him, and, taking him by the hand, found that it was cold, and saw that he was dead. Greatly surprised and distressed, he summoned the household to witness the sad fate which had befallen Anselmo, and then he read the paper, the handwriting which he recognized as his, and which contained these words, A fool and ill-advised desire has robbed me of life. If the news of my death should reach there's a Camilla, let her know that I forgive her, for she was not bound to perform miracles, nor ought I to have required her to perform them, and since I have been the author of my own dishonor, there is no reason why— so far Anselmo had written, unless it was plain that at this point, before he could finish what he had to say, his life came to an end. The next day his friend sent intelligence of his death to his relatives, who had already ascertained his misfortune, as well as the convent where Camilla lay almost on the point of accompanying her husband to that inevitable journey, not on account of the tidings of his death, but because of those she received of her lover's departure. Although she saw herself a widow, it is said she refused either to quit the convent or to take the veil, until not long afterwards intelligence reached her that lothario had been killed in a battle in which monsieur de lautrec had been recently engaged with the great captain gonzalo fernandez de cordova in the kingdom of naples whither her too late repentant lover had repaired on learning this camilla took the veil and shortly afterwards died worn out by grief and melancholy this was the end of all three an end that came of a thoughtless beginning i like this novel said the curate but I cannot persuade myself of its truth, and it has been invented. The author's invention is faulty, for it is impossible to imagine any husband so foolish as to try such a costly experiment as Anselmo's. If it had been represented as occurring between a gallant and his mistress, it might pass, but between husband and wife there is something of an impossibility about it. As to the way in which the story is told, however, I find I have no fault to find. End of chapter 35 End of chapter 34 through 35